0: If you've ever read John chapter 3, you will find three imperatives that are vital for all of us to understand. The first one is the necessity for every one of us to have spiritual life. We must be born again. The Lord Jesus is warning us in this chapter not to go out of life the way we came in, spiritually dead. No, we all need a spiritual birth. Without it, we will not see, much less enter, the kingdom of God john goes on to give another vital mandate in this chapter this time regarding the lord jesus himself when he said that he must be lifted up why well for the simple reason that salvation is only available through the work of christ on the cross where he died for our sins it was the very reason that he came into the world to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself and the third imperative is all about the attitude and lifestyle of a christian after salvation where Christ continually increases and we decrease. Upon the new birth, Christ becomes our all in all. We start to be transformed into his likeness, and we have a growing desire for Christ to be praised and exalted above everything else. In today's broadcast, we will be listening to Speaker Shad Kember as he expands on these three essentials for us.
1: Now, I would like to read with you tonight, in just three simple verses in the Word of God. In John chapter 3, verse number 7, but what we're actually doing is, I'm just going to read a little bit before that, where we have the case of this man, Nicodemus, coming to Christ. And I want you to notice, especially in verse number 3, it says these words in verse number 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus doesn't quite understand him at this point. And he asks a question, if this is really a physical thing, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So the Lord Jesus elaborates on that a little bit. And finally, in verse number seven is the verse I want to come to. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So the little key thing that we're noticing here, is the need for a person to be born again. Further down in the chapter, we're gonna notice a similar expression, the same word, must, in verse number 14. And it says these words, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man, that's a term to describe the Lord Jesus, so must the son of man be lifted up. That's a reference to his death at the cross, that whoever, believes in him, may have eternal life. Now, I can't come this close to verse 16 without reading it, too. Verse 16 is this wonderful golden text of John's gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, this little word must is found again in our chapter, and that's a little bit closer to the end. And I want you to notice in verse number 30, It is John the Baptist who is preaching and speaking to his disciples. And he says about the Lord Jesus that he must increase, but I must decrease. Three imperatives in John's gospel. If the word imperative is a little bit too big or clumsy for you, how about the word needs? Three needs, three things that are a must, essential. The first one has to do with you and with me. We must be born again to go to heaven. The Savior must be lifted up. He must need suffer. He must die at the cross of Calvary for salvation to occur in your life and in mine. And the last necessity that's referenced in this passage is really what is a model or what is a rule of thumb that is a guiding and a governing principle in the life of a person that has trusted the Lord Jesus as their savior. And that is simply this, that the Lord Jesus must increase and I must decrease. The first necessity really has to do with the present, where you are right now, right now in this life. It's to do with you in your current circumstances. And it's the fact that right now, you need to be born again. If it hasn't already happened to you obviously and the second necessity that's identified in the passage has to do with the past it has to do with the lord jesus something that he has already finished already accomplished for us he was lifted up at the cross of calvary he did die he was crucified and on that cross he did the work which is a foundational which provides the basis upon which you can rely, and upon which you can depend, on which you can rest and have the assurance that when you come to the end of your life, and you are about to embark on the voyage that leaves time and goes into eternity, that your eternal destiny has already been secured for you by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we have something that I'm going to call in the future in the sense that it happens subsequent to salvation. A person that is saved wants to see the Lord Jesus magnified. Even as Paul could speak about his earnest desire, his earnest expectation that the Lord Jesus whether it's by Paul's life or by Paul's death that the Lord Jesus would be honored would be magnified. Would be made great in the eyes of those who were the onlookers around him in his life here in this world. So, something in the present, right now, the need for you to be saved, something that happened in the past so that you could be saved in the present, the work of the Lord Jesus at the cross, and something that awaits you if you get saved. And that is a new governing principle to help you in your life, in which there is going to be a desire to. Honor the Lord Jesus, to glorify Him, to make Him honored in the eyes of those who look on around you. But, you know, I was thinking that in the first case, what we're having identified for us is what you need if you're going to get into the kingdom, if you're going to get into heaven. That is, you need life. You need life. In the second case, we're told that the Lord Jesus needs, must, it's imperative It's essential, it's absolutely indispensable that the Lord Jesus is lifted up on the cross of Calvary. A reference to his mode of dying, lifted up in that shameful way upon the cross of Calvary. And the last one about a Christian and what is the governing principle in their life is, I put over that the idea of lowliness. A Christian has nothing to brag about. We sing sometimes in relation to salvation, boasting excluded, pride I abase, I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Lowliness, humility is something that actually is fitting for us, having been eternally saved by rich and free eternal grace. So let's talk for a minute about what the Lord Jesus says to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, this teacher of the Bible, but he wasn't ready for eternity. Did you know that it's possible for a person to be religious and not right with God? A person can have great knowledge of the Bible and yet never have had the moment of the new birth when life was given to him. Now we have physical life. I'm not talking about that. That's what Nicodemus was trying to underscore that this can't refer to physical life or a repeat of physical life. It's not as if a man is going to be reborn, but the Lord Jesus goes along with him and says, yeah, absolutely true. Absolutely the case. It's not physical life. This is spiritual life. Several times, this word, the spirit, referring to sometimes spiritual and sometimes referring to the person of the Holy Spirit who actually Produces this experience of the new birth. This is something that is spiritual. It's not physical If you almost could think of it as something that's invisible not tangible not touchable It's not material, but it's spiritual and it's not something that is Temporal, but it's life which is eternal. So it's spiritual life But it's also eternal life. Once you receive it You have it forever And the Lord Jesus said, I give unto my sheep eternal life, and they shall never perish. You know, while I'm thinking about it, I just want to draw to your attention that the last necessity that I referenced in this chapter, where John says so beautifully something that all of us who are saved can happily identify with. He, the Lord Jesus, must increase, I must decrease. Notice that the first two necessities in the chapter are required for you to be saved. But your progress as a Christian, the measure of success that you have in being humble and exalting the person of the Lord Jesus, is not a condition for your salvation. It's not a condition for your salvation. It's a consequence that flows from your salvation. And I think that's important to explain and to emphasize at this point in our conversation, in our discussion at this moment, that you're honoring the Lord Jesus in your life after you are saved, that's never put as a prerequisite to obtaining. You don't have to do that to obtain salvation, but listen to this little clarification as well. You don't have to do that to retain salvation, you see? So you don't need to be more and more humble and more and more glorifying the Lord Jesus to possess salvation. But when a person is living according to that principle, what they are doing is they're giving expression. It's not the possession of salvation, but it's the expression of salvation. Many sincere people feel that when a person gets saved, now their salvation is in the balances and their eternal destiny is still being decided. Their fate forever is teetering on the fulcrum of how much or whether they successfully serve the Lord Jesus, whether they honor the Lord Jesus, whether they magnify him or not. I'm so glad that my salvation does not depend on my sanctification. Flawed and fragmentary and very often intermittent and marked by ups and downs. And sometimes there's progress and sometimes there's going backwards. But while that might change and my love for Christ might ebb and flow, My peace with God remains the same. No change. Jehovah knows. Thank God for a Savior who completely undertakes the task of taking a lost, condemned sinner from this condition of condemnation to a position of salvation, ensuring him and guaranteeing him in advance His arrival at the heavenly portal of the Father's house, the many mansions in heaven. What a wonderful salvation is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Nicodemus, the Lord Jesus says to him, don't be surprised. Don't marvel that I'm saying to you, you must be born again. So it's salvation, it's life that is spiritual, it's not physical, it's life that's eternal, it's not temporal, and it's life that is vital. It's not optional. The Lord Jesus is not saying it would be a good idea if you were to get saved. It's maybe a, a good suggestion I'm, I'm sharing with you that it would be probably in your best interest to get this new birth, this moment when a person receives life. No, the Lord Jesus makes it very clear, absolutely necessary for this to happen. But then the second case actually helps us understand the mystery of being born again. Many people think being born again is to change your life and reform your life and rehabilitate your life and try to turn over a new leaf and do something different. The world secularly uses and even religiously sometimes use. And that's what the people have in their mind. I need to be born again. I need a change in my life. No, no, no. You don't need a change so much in your life. As you need a change in your heart. You need salvation to begin with, right? So here is what explains somewhat of how you can obtain this new birth, this life that is so crucial and so critical for you getting into heaven. So what are we going to do? We're going to talk about a death. Would it surprise you to know that for you to have eternal life, the one who inhabits eternity had to die. And this Lord Jesus came from heaven and the eternal son of the eternal God became flesh and blood. He became a partaker of flesh and blood. He also himself likewise took part of the same that by means of his death, many things might be accomplished among them as a result of his death. You can have life. You know, even in this gospel, we're told about that. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 tells us sort of a negative and a dark side to sin. It says, The wages of sin is death. So, for your sins to be cleansed and put away and forgiven, someone had to die. Someone had to pay the consequences. But did you know that the Bible also teaches that in order for you to have life, somebody needed to die? And that's the emphasis in John's gospel. Even the Lord Jesus said, Unless a grain or a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, if that doesn't happen, that little kernel of wheat will abide, will remain alone. But if it die, it will bring forth much fruit. It'll bloom into a plant, blossom into a plant, whose head will bow someday in ripe fruit bearing in a harvest. That's a simple analogy from something as commonplace as a grain, as a piece, as a little seed, the Lord Jesus is telling us that in order for there to be life, there must be death. In order for you to have eternal life, he must die. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus, be lifted up. So he dies. So that... Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So the next verse tells us why this happened. So that you could have life, there was a life given at the cross. The reason the life was given at the cross is because there was a love that existed for you. And it was abundant and it was overflowing. And at the cross, love was expressed. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So there is love that led Christ to give his life so that you could have eternal life. Now, what must you do to obtain this eternal life? Notice what the verse does not say. The verse says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever is baptized, no. That whoever gives his life to Christ, no. That whoever commits his life to Christ, no. That whoever promises to serve Christ faithfully, no. That's the point in the last of our chapter. But that's not a prerequisite for salvation. That's not a condition for salvation. It's these simple words. That whoever believes in him should not perish. It's to avoid a loss, an eternal loss a tragic, an unthinkable, an unimaginable loss that you would not be lost eternally in the judgment of God, experiencing God's wrath because of your sins. That's the tragedy that God is wanting to avoid. And so there is love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son and implicit in that is a life that was laid down at the cross. Even so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish, that's the loss that will be avoided, but have everlasting life. The moment they receive that everlasting life, God says that's a birth, that's being born again. That's how a person becomes born again. They don't feel anything, they don't hear anything, they don't see anything, but they do perceive something, they do grasp something, They have something opened up to their mind by the Spirit of God that the Lord Jesus, when he died at the cross, was taking my place. He was bearing my shame. He was suffering for my sin. He was taking my place and trusting the Lord Jesus Christ quicker than I can tell you, the person receives everlasting life. That's how it can happen to you. And I hope that tonight. That will be your experience, and that God will help you to find salvation and be eternally blessed as a result of his mercy to you. May God bless his word.
0: Have you ever had this born-again experience? That is, have you ever received everlasting life through looking to the man who was lifted up at Calvary. Remember, it's not the experience itself that saves. Don't look for an experience. Simply look to the person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and trust His Word when He says that all who believe in Him have, present tense, everlasting life. We hope you will. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you would like some literature that would help you understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at anchorpointradio at gmail.com? We'd love to hear from you. We're glad you were able to join us at Anchorpoint today. Anchorpoint is sponsored by believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday, as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. If you've been challenged by today's message, and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our Anchor Point website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. Our Anchor Point messages are also available for listening and download at anchorpointradio.com. My name is Glenn Todd,